Now for our first message, Mr. Curtis Whiteley with Childlike Humility. Thank you, Matt. Good afternoon. I trust everyone had a good week. Looks like our temperatures are starting to drop a little bit uh, compared to last week. I'll ask you a question. Uh, who in here watches the Olympics? A lot of us. A lot of us. I, I have not been able to watch quite as much as I'd like to because I'm busy doing other things, but I have to admit, I have enjoyed watching the Olympics this year. I'm not going to, I'll probably have to admit, a lot of it has to do with America doing so well, but a lot of this is probably because, if you know me, a lot of you do, I've grown up here my entire life, I've been a big person that's been in the sports my whole life. Uh, I enjoy athletics, I enjoy college football, I enjoy the NFL, I enjoy other sports. I enjoy the, the athletic competition, okay? Some of you may not, and that's okay. There's other areas of competition that you probably enjoy. But as I've watched the Olympics, I've just kind of thought about some things this week. And one of those things was how there's a human element in us that desires greatness. I mean, all of us want to be good at something. All of us want to exceed and excel at something. But with the Olympics, one thing I, I think all of us would have to admit, there is something about competition, something about you know, athletics, and then other things, other types of competition that helps bring out and manifest one of the most negative aspects of human nature. And that's an issue of pride. And we can look at all different professional sports, we can look at little league sports, we can see there's a lot of pride that goes in in exceeding and being successful in competition, being successful in athletics, being successful in other areas too, whether it be in academics, whether it be in our job, whether it be in our uh, maybe our hobbies, there's something about wanting to be great at something, wanting greatness. And just looking at the Olympics this week, just looking at and thinking about how these people, men and women, just devote their entire life, their entire life to being great, the being the greatest at whatever competition that it is. Whether it be in wrestling, whether it be in basketball, whether it be in volleyball, and all the different sports that I've never even really seen in my life that's being played in the Olympics right now. People devote their entire life to be great, to be the greatest. And in this, I think we can see manifested the issue of pride that humans have. And this isn't a knock on the Olympics, like I said. I, I admit that I enjoy the Olympics. But I think that if we think about it, Jesus dealt with the same thing in a different area. And Matthew, if you just turn over there real quick, which is our primary text for the day. Matthew 18, verses 1 through 5. The issue of pride came up among the disciples. In Matthew 18, verse 1, it says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him and said to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children. In fact, we look at different translations and some different Greek words. It's actually better put if, unless you turn, unless you change. Unless you change and become like as one of these little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. 
And therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this is in my name, receives me. And I started thinking about all the different passages in the Bible, or ex excuse me, in the Gospels, when Jesus talks and deals with little children, and the concept and the idea of a little child. Right here we see that disciples, their problem was pride. We don't know how it came about. We don't know the circumstance. We do know that this issue comes up in other passages in the Bible, other passages in the Gospel. But in the midst of time, circumstances happened. Maybe it was just a couple of the disciples. Maybe it was all of them. We don't know. We don't know the circumstances. But the issue of pride came up. And the desire to be great in the kingdom of God came up. And, and, and these disciples asked this question, who is it that's great in the kingdom? Who's the greatest? The interesting part isn't so much the question that's been asked to Jesus, but rather how Jesus responds. Jesus responds by showing, and just, this is pretty much the umbrella theme for this message. It's very simple. There's nothing complex to it. We've heard it before. Christ desires humility. Christ desires humility. And this humility, as Jesus responds to this question, is best illustrated by none other but the character of a child. The character of the child. What was shocking about this, probably to the disciples, probably to the ones who heard this, was that Jesus was asked the question, how can we become great? Or who is the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus picks one of the most powerless members of society to show them as an example, as an illustration, who would be great in the kingdom of heaven. Now our society is... A little different, but somewhat similar. We have children, and we don't look at children as inferiors like they did in the first century. But we do look at children as not being to adult status. Every child, every human being is of the same value in our you know, court of law. We can look at our law and says that a child that's murdered is the same as a, an adult being murdered. There's the same value. But... The difference was that this child was powerless. This child had no way of providing pro uh, provisions for themselves. In fact, we can see this attitude. We can see just the, the little bit of the attitude of what it was like for children, what, how children were looked at. If we just were to go a chapter over in Matthew, in Matthew 19, verse 13, you don't have to turn there, where Jesus is standing and he's teaching, and some children come up to Jesus and want to touch him. And the response of the disciples was to drive them away. But once again, Jesus took the example, and he rebuked this attitude that the disciples had towards children. And again, used that, them as an example of how we were supposed to be. The example of what our attitudes were to be like. And I just want to read a quote real quick out of the uh, InterVarsity Press background commentary. This is a background commentary of just a little bit about what it was like, what the social situation was in the first century. And it says that the most powerless members of society were little children. In fact, in Jewish culture, children were loved. They weren't despised, but the point is that they had no status apart from that love and no power or privileges apart from what they received as total dependence on their parents. We can kind of understand this a little bit. We look at little children, and we see the dependence that they have on their guardian, on their parent, on their caretaker. Children are totally dependent upon 
Who's taking care of them for everything? Which leads me to my next sub-point, that this humility that Christ desires in us, this humility that's been illustrated by, by the character of a child, the character of children, this humility should result in godly dependence. As we have already went over, young children were solely dependent on whoever is taking care of them for every provision imaginable. But this dependency was a simple, helpless, and trusting spirit. And children, children are willing to accept from others without having to worry about their pride, having to worry about what it may look like. You know, they will grow out of it. We all were like this at one time. We can just think about how we are as adults, how we are in our human nature. We don't want to be dependent on anything. We don't want to admit that we're not self-sufficient. But the child knows that they have no resources of themselves, and they accept it. They accept that they are dependent. They trust. They trust in their caretaker. They trust in their parent. They trust in their guardian. As an illustration, I've just become a parent, a new parent, a first-time parent in the past year, uh, as many of you know. And this summer I've had the opportunity, because I was staying home uh, as a teacher, having summers off, I had the opportunity to spend a lot of hours alone by myself being the sole caretaker of our son, Asher. Now, I'll have to give credit where credit's due because I did have a lot of help. But yet, not to, you know, I have to admit, it's a little more difficult on me than it is Katie. Uh, but I, I don't think that, you know, back in the past, I think, you know, logically in my head, I, you know, I understood this concept. But I, I think that I, I understand it so much more now because I lived it. And I'm not saying you have to have children to, to understand this, because many of you that don't have children, you've babysitted or you've taken care of a child, but you'll see that, you know, I wake up in the morning, and if Asher doesn't get picked up and taken out of his bed, he won't move for the whole day. If I don't feed him, he's not going to eat. If I don't change him, he's not going to be changed. If I don't move him, he's not going to move. Almost everyone in here understands this. Complete dependence. He can't crawl yet. He can't walk. He can't feed himself. He can't change himself. I don't even know if he understands completely the concept of what clothes are. I think the only thing he knows is, is that I'm hungry and I feel uncomfortable with what is on me right now. It needs to be changed. But he's completely 100% dependent on others for everything. And just like children are dependent on their parents or whoever's taken care of, Christ is saying that this is what he desires for us. He desires a complete dependency on him. But here's the great problem in this. Because we don't always just naturally stay in a childlike way, in a childlike attitude our whole life. We eventually will grow out of it. We'll become adults. And a lot of times this attitude will, will, will grow out of it sometimes faster than others. As some of you probably can attest that have teenagers and adolescents. But the problem is, is that this attitude, this way of looking at things, this dependency is the complete opposite of our human nature. As we already mentioned, we don't want that. We don't want to just be dependent on someone else for everything. We struggle admitting that we are dependent. We want credit. And we want credit that comes from ourselves. We like the idea of being independent and self-sufficient. And last time I spoke, I spoke about how Jesus confronted some of the religious leaders. And one of the issues in that message 
And in that story is that Jesus was dealing with some religious leaders, some people that just, they could not put their pride away and admit maybe they didn't know everything on their own. Maybe they had some things wrong. Maybe they had some ideas off regarding God and his, and his plan. We want our name on the trophy. We want our name to have many titles behind it. We have a desire to, to boast in what we can do, what we did do, and what we will do. That's a part of our nature. But let's consider just the Apostle Paul. We can consider Jesus Christ and the humility that he showed and who he was and then and looking at who he was compared to what he did. The great humility that he had and putting his life down. Becoming a, a man and, and laying it down in the most humiliating way possible. But the Apostle Paul, as an illustration, we can look at him as someone who was educated in all knowledge. He had an understanding according to almost every philosophy in the world, or at least that was relevant to him. He was a Pharisee, and he was virtually schooled in every language relevant to him. He was a true scholar of his day. He was what we would call today a, a PhD, or a multi-PhD. But listen to the words he writes to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. He's talking about the initial presentation of the gospel when he first brought the gospel message to the Corinthians, to those who lived in Corinth. He says in verse 1, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's the question we have to ask ourselves. You know, where do we look? What do we look to as our source of our wisdom, as our source of our dependency? And I just kind of wrote down some, some, some principles we can derive from these words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. Understanding that the disciples, although they weren't probably completely off base, I think that there's nothing wrong with desiring greatness as long as we understand the dependency and where that greatness comes from. That that greatness does not come from us, but it comes from God. That nothing in us ourselves is great, but rather all of our boasting is, is, is to the glory of God. But some of the principles are rather some of the questions we have to ask ourselves. Because we have to think about this in trying to not just look at, oh, that's what the disciples did back then. Can you believe them? Look how arrogant. But rather, we have to ask ourselves, how can we identify areas that we struggle with that is relevant to this? What areas of our life do we struggle with in regards to our trust and dependency on God? Maybe it's with our future. Maybe we struggle with an anxiety about what's going to happen in the next month. What's going to happen in the next week? What's going to happen in the next year? Maybe we struggle with our job, with having you know, just trying to take care of everything. Maybe things aren't going as well as they should, and we just think, you know what? I need to take care of this myself. And you're excluding God out of the picture. You're not depending on God. Maybe it's with our children themselves. Maybe we struggle with, if we're, are, are we doing an okay job parenting? Are we doing it right? Is our children going to stay safe? 
I worry about my kids. Are they, are they healthy? Are they going to come down with a disease? Do we worry about our own health? Do we worry or struggle with self-dependency with our sin? Do we have sins in our lives that we're thinking, I'm going to take care of this. I just need to remove it. And forget to include God in that process of removing it. Forget to include God on that dependency. What about our health, our wealth, our finances? I think it's safe to say there's probably nothing more. And we can look at in our society today, and it's probably been like this for years and years. There's probably nothing more people have anxiety about than finances. Making ends meet. We all struggle with this. It's easy to get into that rat race of just trying to make ends meet and leaving God out of the picture. It's easy to do that. It's easy to do that. And in fact, in Matthew, the sixth chapter, in the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 25, we're going to go over, Jesus deals with this same issue. Jesus is talking and he's saying, look, here's some of the world, worldly anxieties. Here's some of the worldly worries that people on a regular, everyday basis worry about. In verse 25, he says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you, put, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? And just think about that example. Okay, the birds, they don't plan things out. They don't say, you know what, I need to store up all this because I need it in the future. They don't worry about those things. And we can look at children. Children don't worry about those things, or rather they shouldn't on a normal basis. I'm sure there's exceptions, but we can just look at children, that, that trust and dependency that they have on their parent, the dependency that they have that they will be taken care of, that dad or mom will make everything okay. Dad or mom will always take care of me. In verse 31, Jesus goes on to say, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And we can see that Jesus says the Gentiles, and today in our, in our time we can just look at it, those who are not a part of God, those who do not rely on God, those who aren't Christians, those unbelievers. People who don't include God in the picture. And Jesus is saying to these people who are supposed to be believers, supposed to be, at least at this point in time, Israel in the covenant, in the old covenant. And he's looking and he's saying, look, you have all these things, you understand the true God. And he's saying, hey, it's possible for you to act like a Gentile. Is it possible for Christians to start acting like non-believers in our trust and our dependence? I think it is. I think it's something that we don't just say, you know, I'm a Christian now, I'm a believer, uh, you know, I'll always depend on God. But I think it's a continual relationship that we have to build with God and a continual struggle to put away the worldly worries, the carnal worries that we have, the worries that are natural in us that we want to worry about. But Jesus goes on to say in verse 33, one of the most key passages in this this passage, these passages of Scripture. In verse 33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So Jesus says, look, all these things, put them away. 
Put these things away. And you got one thing to focus on now. Me. My kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God, not ours. Not the kingdom that we've built up. Not the kingdom where we're the great one. We're the self-sufficient ones. And his righteousness. Not our righteousness. Not our great obedience. But God's righteousness. The second thing we can look at, and the second question, is we can ask ourselves, what areas of our life do we struggle with pride, boasting, or arrogance? Maybe it's knowledge in the Bible. Maybe we think, you know what, I know more than everybody. I've read it 20 times, 30 times, 40 times, 50 times. There's always something that you're lacking. And like I read just the other day, a kid read through the Bible. And the dad asked, after he read through it, are you going to read any more Bible today? And he said, no, I've already read it. Okay. He's already read the Bible. The next day, the kid came down and was hungry. He just wanted to eat. And the dad asked, why are you hungry? Because I want breakfast. Didn't you eat breakfast yesterday? Yeah, I did. Why do you need to eat it again? Why do you need to feed yourself again? Why do you need to continually come to the Word of God? Because just like us eating food, like we need it on a daily basis, we need the Word of God. We're never... We've never learned it all. We've never just completely 100% gotten it. But we're always dependent on that living word. Maybe it's our own righteousness that we struggle with. Maybe we just find, you know, it's hard for us not to boast. You know? Maybe we think that our obedience is something that we focus on too much. Being obedient to God is very important. We can't focus on ourselves when we're obedient to God. In fact, what we do is, is we realize that it is only God that is strengthening us, strengthening us, and we must give all of the glory to God because it's Him that is enabling us to be obedient. Okay? I don't know about you, but I think the Scriptures say that it was God's Spirit that was given to us to strengthen us, to help us be obedient, not our own Spirit that's helping us be obedient. So maybe it's a, a struggle with our self-righteousness. And just to kind of bring in another quote that I read in preparing for this, which I thought was fantastic, from a 19th century Scottish preacher named James Denny. And he says that no man can give at once the impression that he himself is clever and that Jesus Christ is mighty to save. You can impress people with your cleverness or you can impress them with Jesus. But you can't do both. So when we come and we think about our life, we think about where we are in our dependency on, on God. We think where we are and who we boast in, where our pride areas are, where the things we struggle with in our arrogance, that we're, you know, we focus a little bit too much on our works, our, our doings. It doesn't have to be about the law. A lot of times people, obviously in our situation, people outside want to always associate works with the law. But that's, that's not true. Works can be all kinds of things. It could be knowledge. It can be the law, but it doesn't have to be. It can be maybe, maybe we're better at communicating. Maybe I'm a great sermon giver. Maybe I'm, you know, the champion of being able to communicate the gospel. 
Maybe we can be a little too prideful in that. And I think that every person that speaks in here will attest that it's very difficult, and as a, or as a, not a minister, but as any speaker or a minister, we have to be careful that when we get up here and speak that it's not about us. It's not about all the bells and whistles and the illustrations and the different you know, things, the, the, the knowledge of you know, and the bringing out of the Greek or the Hebrew or the original language or the different metaphors we use. It's not about us, but it's about God, and it's about his righteousness, and it's about our weakness and God's strength being manifested through sinful man. It's about God's glory being manifested through us. Not our own glory, not our own selfness, but it's about Him. And it's always about Him. And only will it be effective when it's about Him. Because we as humans, we're weak and we're dependent. We're children, whether we want to realize it or not. And that's what we have to realize. We're dependent on God no matter what, whether we think we are or whether we're not. In conclusion, I just want to ask the question, all of us to think about this. Is God our caretaker? Have we made God the guardian of our life? Do our actions, attitudes, lifestyles show this? We have seen that Jesus desires for us to come to him as a little child. In complete dependency and trust, relying on him for everything. And in a nutshell, this is the biblical theme. This is the biblical message that men are not self-sufficient. The biblical message at the very beginning of time when men started calling upon the name of the Lord. When men started realizing, you know what? We're not good enough. We need something else. We need God. We need God to tell us how to live our life. We need God to show us truth. We need God to be able to worship Him properly. We need God and we need to rely and depend on Him as a child depends on a parent. Young children aren't concerned with their own abilities, with their reputation, with their bank accounts, with their social status in society, which may be another way that our pride might be manifested. Even if it's secretly. It doesn't have to be manifested openly, but it can be manifested secretly in, our, in the deep inner parts of our being. Do we care more about our dependency on God and our complete dependency? Or do we struggle with our ability at work? Do we struggle with our ability and our social status? Do we desire more a big bank account rather than being and acknowledging our complete nothingness before God. If in Him only through us are we something. So children, they don't worry about these things. They're not worried about, you know, what country club they're involved in. They're not worried about what their reputation is. They're not worried about their bank statement. They're not worried about their own power. But rather the abilities and the powers of the ones who take care of them. Who takes care of us? Who do we rely on? for our source of everything. So as we go out and leave here today, let's just think about that question. This is just a question that I think that all of us have to always, no matter what age we are, no matter how long it's been that we've been in the church, no matter how much we know, we always have to ask that question. Who takes care of you? Who takes care of me? Do I take care of me? Or does God? Do I think I'm the one, or do I think God takes care of me, but am I really the one trying to take care of me? So as we leave here today, let's just think about these things. And I think that this is something that has been a simple message, nothing complex to it. But I think it's an important question, because even the disciples came and struggled with this issue. 
And this was pre-Pentecost, it was pre-Holy Spirit, pre-conversion. But even as converted Christians, it's something that I think there's a lot of benefit in always trying to evaluate where we are. Always trying to evaluate, you know, where, that, where we are on the scale in dependency on God. And understanding our weakness and God's strength. And that glory that can be manifested through us when we understand that we are to be nothing but like children before God. Complete, simple, dependent, trusting, and willing to realize that it, God is the source of everything, all provisions in righteousness and spiritual provisions and physical provisions.